Today we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, which I'll read to you. And as we do so, uh, just to note that we are beginning a new series uh, for January called Leading People Forward. And I'll talk a little bit more about that series uh, as, we, as we begin. But first I want to read the Word of God, Philippians 1, 3 through 11, where we get a statement of Paul's vision of where he wanted to lead the Philippians. But also not only the Philippians, but, but all the churches with which he was a part. So let's listen to God's holy word. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you praise that you've spoken to us your word. And we pray, O Lord, that now as you've spoken, you would speak to our hearts of each person who is present here, who is listening online as we meditate it, maybe even in the days to come as people listen to the recordings. Uh, We pray, O Lord, that you would speak. O Lord, it is your word, and we want to hear from you. We want to be guided by the examples that you've set of faith that you've set before us so that we might make a greater impact under you and leading under you who is our leader. And so, Lord, lead us today. Lead our hearts. Lead our minds in the direction you would have us to go. Change our hearts and make us ready as instruments to your glory to make an impact in this world. We pray in the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So begin a series on leadership today. Um, the first question I want to ask is, should I be preaching about this? And maybe some of you would say, or I've already said in your heart, no, you shouldn't be preaching about leadership because it's surprising. Uh, I have had like a lot of questions about preaching on leadership, and I'm going to kind of answer some of those questions or maybe objections that people have to say doing a series on leadership. First, the first one is, is more just a doubt, a question that people might have. And they might say, well, I'm not a leader. This is for pastors or presidents or, or mayors or owners of businesses. But let me ask you this. Do you have any person, group, or community that you would like to see in a better place? If, they, if you could say yes to that, if you want to have any person in your life, any group, any community then you have the opportunity to lead. And if you are trying to get them to the better place, then you are trying to lead. It's not, one thing that distinguishes between leadership as an activity or as a, as a character trait or as, a, as something we do versus a leadership position. You can be the pastor of a church, we might say that's a leadership position, but you may not be leading well. You may not be, a, a, you might not have any title, but you actually may be leading a lot. Um, John Maxwell, uh, who's written a lot and thought a lot about leadership, and uh, his books are, are helpful and good, 
said a leader is someone who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. A leader is someone who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. And that shows that any of us can do that. Any of us can be that. A leader is someone who helps another person move forward to where they could and should be. And so we're all called to be leaders. And to some extent, we are trying to lead others most likely. Second, leadership is a secular topic. We want a biblical topic. Hold the press here. Read the Bible again and ask yourself, how does almost anything happen in the Bible? It is almost always through leaders. Someone steps up to do what God has called them to do and leads people forward. Whether it's Moses leading people out of Israel, Dorcas making clothes for the poor, Philip going up to a government official, Peter going to a house of a Gentile, or the Apostle Paul starting to proclaim Jesus to the Gentiles, it's because someone steps up and does what God has asked them to do that things move forward in the kingdom of God. Read Hebrews 11. Three, it's not the gospel. Leadership is not the gospel. We want to hear the gospel. Well, the gospel is about what God has done for us and is doing in us. And so it is about what God does for us and in us. But that's not the only topic in the Bible. The gospel empowers us to do something for God and for his service. And one of the biggest things that we do for God is to help others move to where they could and should be. And that's leadership. So the gospel empowers us and calls us to leadership, even though it's not specifically the gospel. Now, the fourth objection is then, well, can't, if it's a result of the gospel, then can't we just sit by passively and wait for God to do it without any effort on our own? And the answer is, re, you know, first of all, let me say, I can see why some people might say that, because we believe in the grace of God and all things are through his grace. So we might say, hey, you know, we just wait for God to act. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we are to act, that we are to make an effort, and that when we make the effort, we recognize God is already working in us, and we give him the credit. As he says to, uh, Paul says to his uh, disciple Timothy, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. He's saying, You need to work hard to become what God has called you to be as a minister, as a leader. And then people will see your progress. And then, of course, God gets all the credit for that because he's already working. That's what makes us work. But we, on our part, make the effort. Paul there is talking specifically about leadership. So the bottom line is every one of us has a calling to get better at relating to people and helping them get where they could and should be. There's a lot of instruction in the Bible about it. And it's actually a humongous theme. That's our reasonable service in light of God, all that God has done for us to make a difference in the lives of other people and help them get to a better place where they could and should be. That's what he wants to do through us in this world. And so the problem, in in many ways, we can step back and say, all of us are trying to help people get where they could and should be. Um, The problem is that we do it without much thought. We, we generally do it through reaction. 
In other words, we see something we don't like in someone and we want it to be different and so we react and say, be different. A friend of mine told me a story from more than five decades ago. He had a teacher at his elementary school named Mrs. Smith. They were doing geometry for the first time. She asked a question like, something like, what do you call two points on the same line? And like many of you, he had no idea. So he said, I don't know. And she took a, a, like a, a paddle that she had, a, a, a wood stick, and hit him on the back of the head. Whack! Now do you know? <laughs> of course, he didn't learn. What he learned is he didn't like math. <laughs> and so uh, after he told me that, I said, man, you could, this is amazing. It's like you can make so many jokes out of this. It's like uh, we were driving past the natural gas um, filling station over there on Robert Henderson. And I was like, hey, does your cat, uh, car run on natural gas? And he said, no. Whack! I didn't actually hit him. And I said, now does it. But you know, as crazy as it is, that's often how we try to lead. We just don't like something, whack! We just respond. And that may also be by being passive too. It's not necessarily lashing out. That's kind of the most common way. And so, but yet, it's also not often very effective. It kind of works, but we, we find ourselves frustrated about the same things over and over again and reacting in the same way over and over again to them. So the question is, is there a better way? And what I want to tell you is that 2,000 years ago, God used a man who had previously no interest in leading anyone to be a follower of Jesus, to become one of the most, one of the greatest leaders in leading people to follow Jesus in the history of the world. That man was actually trying to get people not to follow Jesus. And then he said, I met Jesus. And then he changed his mind. He says, now I'm going to get everybody to follow Jesus. And he was more effective than any of the other people who had been with Jesus while he was on earth. His name is, we call him the Apostle Paul. His name was Saul. And his Greek name was Paul. And we know him generally as St. Paul or the Apostle Paul. And what he shows us here is that he was leading in a different way. He wasn't leading just by reacting to what he saw. He was leading through a positive vision of where he wanted people to be. And so I want us to consider together leading through vision from what we see in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. First, I want you to see the context of Paul's vision. The content of his vision is really in verses 9 through 11. But we read verses 3 through 11, and I think it's important to see how he approaches the, the Philippians because this gives us some good points on how to help people move forward that are kind of like bonus points. It's the context of the vision. First, there was a clear love for the Philippians. He wrote this letter to the people who were at, in a church in Philippi, which is in, in modern-day day Greece and Macedonia. And um, they are, they, he, he wrote them this letter, and it's clear that he loved them. He says in verse 3, I thank God every time I remember you. He says, and all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of you. And he says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So he had a clear love for the Philippians. Secondly, he had a clear encouragement of their progress. 
he tells them that they've done a good job. He's happy about their relationship because they were partners with him in the gospel from the first day until now. And he says um, they are sharers in God's grace. People we're trying to lead may often feel like we don't like them. And again, the continual reaction makes, can sometimes make people feel like we don't like them as they are and we want them to be different than we'll like them. But you see, Paul has a very different approach. He, one, it makes it very clear that he loves them and cares about them. And he also says, you're doing many things well. You're already on the path and I want to show you how to keep going. But the third thing is a clear confidence in God's work. One thing is, the, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, I worked harder than everybody. So, that's a, quite a statement. But he said, look, humility is not um, saying we're terrible and have accomplished nothing. Humility is a realistic appraisal of who we are, both positive and negative, under God and in the context of other people. And he, he literally did work more than everybody else. But then he also says, like, I didn't do that because I was actually better. It was because of God's grace. And that always humbles us and always recognize that's our proper position. That's a real evaluation. We may have done more work, but that's because of God. And so he recognizes that it's God's work. When he seeks to lead the Philippians forward, he's just joining what God is already doing and leading them forward. And he's confident that God who began the work, as he says in verse 6, will be faithful to carry it on unto completion. When we're helping people move forward, we're not like starting the process. It's already God who's working, who was working with them before when he was knitting them together in the womb. And so we're just joining what God is doing and we have confidence in what God is doing. Now let's look secondly at the content of Paul's vision. So what does he want? Looking down at verse 9, he says, This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. That he wants them to be loving people. And what does it mean to be a loving person? It means that you have concern about someone. It means that you have an interest in their interests and their well-being and that you actually have a desire to be together with them and have union and communion with them. And that's what, that's what he wants. Jesus has taught us what love is because he, wanted to, he, took, he was concerned about us. He came into this world. He wanted to connect with us. And he says, that's how you're to love everybody else. And now, there, to some extent, we, there's a, a sort of natural love that we have for people, but the Christian view is that because, because God created all and has a concern and interest in all and has made redemption available for all, then, and because all reflect the image of God, that our, our love is to move out to a wider and wider circle, to a greater and greater depth. It's natural to love our kids. It's, natu- it's natural to, to, to love those near us. But then we also want to move that love out. And so he says, I want your love to abound more and more. You're concerned about more and more things. Now, we can't always do that at once. It's a growth process. That's why he says, I want your love to abound more and more. So he wants them to be loving people who know how to relate well to people and who know how to connect well with people. But he also says, then secondly, that it is, um, that he wants it to be done in wisdom. He says, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. So sometimes we think that love is just sort of this just feeling, and it is a feeling, it is an affection, 
But it also, to love well, is not always easy because to do what's actually best for people that we care about requires wisdom and guidance. We can love in a dumb way. So doing everything for people sometimes seems to be the loving thing. Every time someone cries or complains, it feels loving to say, I'm going to help them. But that's actually not the wisest way often. We need a realistic appraisal of what they actually need. They may, it actually may be good for them to struggle a little bit more. It may be good for them to process their own anxiety. It's, we want to help others, but we want to do it in the best way. That's why love requires wisdom. Now, I know if something is hard, I will often complain. Um, and, you know, and then we see, you know, some, someone comes and they might say, hey, I'm going to help you with this. But actually, it's probably best for me just to kind of work through that, recognize that life is going to be hard, and to learn to complain a little bit less and just get after it. And that's what we see for other people. It's, um, the philosopher Aristotle talked about giving. And he made this statement that, that has stuck with me. And it's kind of on the same vein. He says, to give or spend money is easy. But to do this to the right person, to the right extent, at the right time, with the right aim, and in the right way, that is not for everyone. Nor is it easy. That is why goodness is both rare and laudable and noble. How to love people well. But that's what he's praying for. That we'll have this affection in our hearts, but that is combined with wisdom to know how to put our efforts in exactly the right place to bless them in the best way possible. It's not easy. But that's, what, that's how we grow. That's where he wants to see them go. That we're making a maximum impact for the people that we love. And so third, the third aspect of his vision is he wants them to have fruit. He says, he says I want you to be to serve what's best, be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. He wants them to have good results from their labor. He wants them to, to put their efforts in where there is going to be the best results. He wants to see them come be a very fruitful. Jesus said, that this is my will for you, that you would bear much fruit and show that you are my disciples. He wants them to do good things well and do good things effectively that will, will, that will bring about effectiveness and blessings for themselves and for others to the glory of God. So, that's, what's requ- that's what he's saying. He's saying, like, I want to see you make an impact in the world. It begins with a heart of love, learning to do better, that manifests itself in fruits of people changed, of things done for the glory of God, things that make things better for people, things that make things better for yourself, and ultimately to the glory of God. Now note, as we talk about this, we recognize that all of this comes from Jesus and is unto Jesus. Look at, he says in verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. How do people become lovers of others that will be wise in the way that they should and make a maximum impact to their best that is in alignment with God and his will and his kingdom? It is through Jesus Christ, and then it is to his praise and to his glory. So what do we learn here? Paul was leading from a clear vision of where people could and should be. And notice, he could communicate it readily and easily, and it is what guided him in everything that he did. 
And so, what we learn from that is the importance of vision. Paul had a vision for people. He communicated it. And that's what we need to learn as well. It's an interesting story. It's not, it's not necessarily a Christian story, other than that, the fact that Christian, all good, it can be referred back to Christianity because God is the creator as well as the redeemer. But, uh, but an interesting story that I think illustrates what leading out of vision, how important it is. Um, one of the things I find myself, and I'm sure other parents as well, is, is one thing you might get frustrated at and react at is how much your kids are on their phone. And maybe you react to that in other people. Maybe you react to it in yourself, too. Um, Mike Lanza was one, in a way, who also had kind of a, a, a problem with how much screen time people had, including kids. But what he decided is that he was going to think about, so why is it that kids are spending so much time on phones and not spending time out in the neighborhood like he was when he was a kid, playing ball and playing in the playground. And one thing he realized, so as he did research and he looked at different communities, he, decided, he realized like that he had a vision that he wanted to see kids out playing together, experiencing different types of things. So what did he do? He studied these things. So how was the best way to get people there? Where were kids out playing? Where were the kids out doing this stuff? What was the difference? And he realized like most of our neighborhoods aren't really designed to bring kids together in a play place. And so he, he, he said, but where they were, they often would play together, and you didn't ever have to tell them, don't be on your screen. They wanted to be in that play place where all the other kids were. And so he began working with people and in his own community to build a place where kids could gather freely, safely, and even without parental supervision. And what he found is the, re- the result of leading out of that vision, finding the right means, was that he got kids to actually get off screens, and he never had to say, hey, get off your phone. He, had, he set up something, and they followed. And it was amazing. So you can read about it. He wrote a book about it. Mike Lanz is the name. But that illustrates what the importance of vision and how it can shape what we do in order to lead. But let me give you three reasons particularly why vision is important. First of all, without vision, how do we pray people forward? So, Leading begins with prayer. But how do we ask God to do things if we, if we don't know where we want them to be? If Jesus is, comes down and say, hey, you're concerned about this person, this person, this person, what do you want that person to be? Now, often we might say, I want them to stop doing that. But what about a positive vision for where you want them to be? Can you even articulate that? Could you tell Jesus exactly what you want the people in your life to be? That's what the Apostle Paul did. He said, this is my prayer, that you may abound more and more love, a great depth of insights, being filled with the fruit of righteousness. So if we have no vision, how do we pray? Second, without a vision, how do we choose the way forward? You know, a lot of times we just do stuff again, just reacting to what's there. But if we don't have a clear vision of where we want people to get, we won't know what to do. It's like if we say, say um, you come up to someone and say, Hey, what's the best way? What are you going to say? To where, right? You've got to know the way. Once you know, the, once you know where you're going, then you can choose the way. And so it is with us. When we know clearly the way, then we can let go of some things that we might do, be doing in our leadership, and we can engage in some things that we might not have been leading in. Third, without vision, how do we communicate the way forward? 
So if we can't explain to people what we want them to do and what we would like to see them be, then how are they going to follow it? If we have no vision that's clear to us, why would we expect it to be clear to the people we want to lead? Think about this. What if someone who, who, you is, who is important to you in your life came up to you and said, hey, I'm going to do exactly what you want me to do with, your li- with, with my life. I'm going to follow all the steps that I want to get exactly where you want me to be. What do I do? <laughs> what do I do? This is a thought experiment, Charles. This is not, we've got to step back here. It's a rhetor- and a rhetorical question. <laughs> so, uh, the, so what do we say? What would you be able to say? Now, again, there's a lot of things you can say about it. Blah, blah, you say you're lying or you, and so on. But can you actually articulate a clear vision of where you want people to be and how they would get there? If you can't do that, then why would you expect that people would be following that path? That's the question. Now, let me... Let me um, I'm going to conclude with a story uh, from history about someone who led with vision and then a couple challenges. One man who led from vision is a man we're celebrating this month, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So you might ask, what gave Martin Luther King Jr. uh, the strength to lead people in the midst of bombings, insults, fire hoses being sprayed at people, beatings, and prison? And we have to say, it was, the, it was the strength of his vision. As far as human means, it was the strength of his vision. You know, when you look at the oppression that was going on in his time, the temptation to lead through reaction would have been strong. I mean, what people were doing was wrong and terrible. And so it would be easy just to react in anger and just do what your emotions led you to do in the moment. But he didn't want to do that. He led from a vision. He recognized that we, we can't just get angry or we, and we can't just get passive. He, says, I ha, he said we need to have a vision. And that's what he explained in his famous speech um, in, in Washington, D.C., where his I have a dream speech. And just listen. He says, I have a dream that one day down in Alabama, with its vicious racists, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, meaning others we're going to ignore what the federal government's telling us to do. Um, and so he's, he's not... He's not saying there's no problem, right? But he says, but what what do we want to have come about? One day, right down in Alabama, this is what I want to see. Little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today, he said. That is leading from vision. And you know that because he saw clearly where he wanted to go, he was also able to select the way to go about it, which was through nonviolent protest and civil disobedience. He said this, the way of acquiescence, in other words, just going along with what's already there, leads to moral and spiritual suicide. If we ignore injustice, then it's moral and spiritual suicide. The way of violence leads to bitterness in the survivors and brutality in the destroyers. So violence is not the way. But the way of nonviolence leads to redemption and the creation of the beloved community. In other words, they had to make their point, 
but they had to do it in a way that would further what he called the beloved community. That's what leading from vision can do. It can give us clarity on the path when we know where we want to go and where we want to lead people. So, let me give you two challenges. First, think of a person that you would like to see in a better place in your life. And ask, what is your vision for them? Can you articulate it? Can you share it with them? Can you pray about it? Can you articulate it clearly like the Apostle Paul? That takes some time. When we begin to think about it, it's not always easy to say, what exactly do I want people to do? What am I not concerned about? What am I concerned about? It's not enough just to say, I don't want them to be on their phone. We've got to say, where do we want to see them be? Where do we want to see them engaging in? And then they can decide from that, what, from what basis can they decide when and when they don't want to be on their phone and not be on their phone? What does that look like? Let me encourage you to take some time to try and articulate that for yourself in this month as we think about leadership, to, to, to meditate on where do I want to lead the people? What is the destination that I'd like to see them go in? What's the important things that I'd actually like to see them doing? Secondly, can you extend your vision a little bit further? That Can you ask yourself, not only who, do I, who am I concerned about, but who should I be concerned about? Some of us maybe need to say, I need to move out a little bit more. One, of the, one little rule that I like is to say, uh, is one I learned from um, Tom Rayner, where he said, invite your one. In other words, he's saying, think about one person who needs the ministry of your church and think about praying for them and inviting them. And what you'll find is, as you begin to think at least just one step out, it begins to get you a bigger vision. And so let me encourage you to think about that. Can you extend that vision out a little bit? So those are the two ways that we're called to do. And so what we have here is the Lord presents to us a better way than just reacting to the things we don't like. He calls us to embrace a vision for where people could and should be and to lead under him and to his glory. And so thus may it be. Let's pray. Our great God and Father in heaven, we praise you, O Lord, that you had a vision for us and you did not let us remain where we could have been and could have stayed, but that you come to lead us, to lead us where we could and should be. But we thank you, O Lord, that you've not only led us simply through your word, but also through the people you brought into our lives, through parents and friends and mentors and helpers and pastors and Sunday school teachers and youth group leaders and people in our workplace and people in in sports teams. We pray, O Lord, that you would help us to see that. And in light of that, that we would would be engaged to, to recognize that we are called to lead under you, that you would give us a vision for where we would have people be and so that we might lead out of it. And this we ask in Jesus' name, amen.